So thankful for each of you being present today, taking this time to honor God. For those of you new with us, thank you for joining us. For those of you who are regularly a part of this church family, I appreciate you so very much. Again, today we celebrate the birthday of our nation, July the 4th. We in this room recognize and know how blessed we are because of the place that we live, the freedom to be able to worship God. But we each also know that uh, this nation has a lot of problems and a lot of issues that we face. And as God's people, we recognize the answer is not going to be in Washington, right? The answer is not going to be in Hollywood. The answer is not going to be on Wall Street. But according to God, the things that cause this nation to change, actually any nation to change, are God's people. So this is a promise. This is... Um, 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is a promise that's actually made to the nation of Israel, that God spoke to them at a time in which they were far, far away from God. But it also applies to us today, but notice how God begins this. He says, if my people who are called by my name, in other words, those of us who call God as our Father, Jesus as our Savior, this is directed not to anybody else, but it's directed to us. Those, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, as God's people, we fall on our knees. As God's people, we humble ourselves. We repent of our sins, right? And then we pray to God, and what is God's promise? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so I want to begin this message by us just praying together as God's people for our nation and just saying, God, we, we want you to intervene. So pray with me right now. Lord God, we are so very blessed to be a part of this nation, a part of this world, a part of living in the freedom that we have. And yet we know, Father, that there is great pain and suffering, there is sin and there is injustice, Father, there is uh, discouragement and disheartenment in this nation. And so, Father, as your people, we humble ourselves before you and we ask you to do the work you need to in our lives. We repent of our sins, Father, and we turn to you and we humble ourselves and, Lord, we ask you if you would begin that work in us, and Father, then extend that to this nation and to this world, Father, so that you would be glorified, Lord God, and so that this world would know that you rule and reign. We pray this in your most precious name, we pray, amen. So I, I have to make a confession to you at the beginning here today. I am a person who, I have these moments in, I, in which I really struggle with being critical of other people. I just really do. I just have these times. Like, for example, when I am driving down the road, I really struggle with being critical of other people. There's a lot of terrible drivers out there. There just really are. And I just, I mean, I lose my religiosity when I am driving a car. Or another time I struggle with that is when I'm watching basketball. And I watch basketball and I watch how, you know, players play or those referees, you know. I mean, I just really struggle with that. Another time I really struggle with it is when, like, if we're on vacation or a trip or something and I go to another church. I can be very critical of other churches or especially other preachers and the things that they preach. I just really wrestle with that at times. 
And some of you are thinking to yourself, well, why is he our preacher if he struggles so much with that? But then others of you are thinking, I kind of get that. You know, I understand what it's like sometimes to be critical of other people. It could be as simple as how they mow their yard or how they raise their kids or were they wearing a mask today or they weren't wearing a mask today. And, you know, in other words, we all, I think, at different times wrestle with this critical kind of a spirit. And according to the truth that comes from God's Word, it's really an indication. It's really a symptom. My critical spirit and possibly yours is really an indication of what the Scripture calls a hypocritical heart in which it's easy to be hard on other people, right? And it's really difficult for us to be hard on ourselves. But I'm very thankful that in the Word of God, we're not just told don't be critical, but God gives us a pathway to be able to discover how we can release that kind of a critical spirit. And it's a part of Jesus' teaching that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 6. We're in this series entitled, What Does Jesus Say About? Now, this whole year, we're spending in the Gospel of Luke. We're spending studying God's Word. Specifically, what we're doing is we're getting to know Jesus better. And the reason why we're spending the whole year getting to know Jesus better is because we know it is only Jesus who can impact our hearts and our lives, right? It is only Jesus who can do the work that we need to have done in our life. There's not enough laws or rules or regulations to change us. And so our vision, our picture of this year is that we're searching after Jesus. We're wanting to find everything we can about Jesus Christ, but what we're discovering is in the process of searching after Jesus, He works on our heart, and He changes us. We search, but what we discover is that we're the ones that are being rescued. And so this series, we're spending time just in Luke chapter 6, just a portion of some pretty significant teaching that Jesus gives us in there, some pretty challenging teaching, really, right? And so in this passage, in this uh, section, we began with this kind of question about, are my values, do my values line up with the values of Jesus? And we realize that's got to be something we pay attention to periodically. I need to have that somewhere where I can see that every once in a while, because for all of us, you know, those values can erode because of the culture that we live in. Then last week, we looked at such a challenging teaching of Jesus about loving our enemies and who those enemies are, and that we learned that, you know, when we learn to love the lowest, we discover that that's love at its highest, because um, Jesus loved us when we were at our lowest, when we were enemies, right? And so when we learn to put into practice loving our enemies, it, it makes such an impact. So today... We're going to take a look at this idea of this critical spirit, this hypocritical heart that all of us wrestle with, and what's the antidote that God has for us. And so here's where we're going today, just kind of so you understand up front. Anytime I feel critical of other people, I want to replace that criticism with generosity. Say that out loud with me. Replace criticism with generosity. 
And so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 37. So I'm going to invite you to stand up as I read the Word of God. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. We'll have it up there. Um, you can use your phone or your tablet. But here's what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but every student who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You may be seated. So the context of what's happening here in Luke chapter 6 um, is important to understand because of who he's talking to. So there's three different groups of people that are basically listening to Jesus. There's the crowd, and they're basically there for the food and the healing, right? Jesus is a great guy. Then you've got this group of committed people. We call them disciples. And then you have really the core, which are the apostles. You look earlier in Luke 6, and Jesus has selected them. So we kind of have to wrestle with, okay, where am I in this group, right? But Jesus very specifically turns to the disciples. In other words, those who are followers of his who have committed themselves to him, and he is speaking specifically to this group of people. Now, we come to, in our passage, um, a pretty misused passage of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say to you or somebody else, don't judge me, right? Mostly that's a phrase to keep us from condemning them for whatever behavior they happen to have, but that gets misused there. The other way, it gets misused by preachers. Give and it will be given to you. If you give a lot of money to the church, you're going to be blessed abundantly. Now, that word give is in there, but it's not specific to money in this particular passage. So what is Jesus getting at here? What's he teaching? The bottom line is this. You're always going to receive more than you give. You're always going to receive more than you give. If you give judgment, you're going to receive more. If you give condemnation, you're going to receive more. If you give forgiveness you're going to receive more. So he says this in verse 38 there of our passage, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The measure you use, what I choose or you choose to give out to others, that's what's going to come back to us. That's what Jesus is teaching here. But it's a very pointed command that we have in this passage of Scripture. So he begins with this, verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So this is a command. So this isn't something in which we have an optional choice. Do I have to follow this or not? If I'm in the crowd of disciples... This isn't optional for me. And so there's two negatives and two positives in regard to the commands he gives to us, right? So he says, do not, what's that word? Judge. Do not 
condemn, and then he says to forgive and to give in this passage. Too negative, don't judge, don't condemn. Too positive, forgive and give. So let's take a moment and look at these two words here and try to understand that. So the word judge, so let's put it back up there. Uh, go to the next slide for me where it's underlined, Jeff. So the word judge is this idea of, um, it didn't originate in law, but it ultimately came to mean that. But this idea of judge is to form a critical opinion of someone based upon observation. And so I don't necessarily have to have a lot of evidence. I don't even necessarily know somebody, but I form a critical opinion about someone based upon what I observe, what they're wearing, what they say, how they say it, you know, the way they dress, um, their hair, I mean, the color of their skin. I just make a critical opinion about this particular person based upon what I happen to see there. Then the word condemn is this idea of I take the next step. So to judge someone means kind of like the idea I'm in the jury. I'm weighing what little evidence I'm looking at and making a critical opinion. But to judge some or to condemn someone means I take off the jury robe and I put on the judge robe. In other words, I move from just a critical opinion to I pronounce sentence upon them. I declare them to be guilty. And I say to them, you know, you don't deserve to have this. I think that at least in my mind. And so it's this idea of I put on the judge's robe and I make this condemning statement or thought about this particular person. And it can be pretty simple. It can be pretty extensive. For example, I may say, they drive me crazy. I'm just not going to be around them anymore because it's just not worth it. Or I may say, They've got 13 items in the 10-item line. This is ridiculous. I can't believe it. But we even go beyond that, and we start telling them, you're not supposed to have 13 items in the 10-item line. And then what we do is we go to the manager of the store. In other words, we just kind of accelerate that. It's this idea of, I may not know that person, but I make a critical evaluation based upon what I happen to see or I happen to notice and it goes from this critical opinion to even to a point where I condemn them. Whether it has to do with how they're too hard on their children, they drink alcohol, you know, they're still going online and not showing up in person. They're wearing a mask, they're not wearing a mask. It's this very slippery slope that we all wrestle with here. What happens to us is, when we put on that robe, we take God's place because God's the only one who can judge. God's the only one who can do that. You see, what we've learned in this passage, we actually learned this last week, that what God wants to do is he wants to show mercy. At the end of the passage as we were reading about the enemy there, you know, be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. But the one who puts others on trial invites God to put them on trial. The one who condemns invites God to condemn them as well. Do we want the mercy of God or do we want the judgment of God? 
Do I want God's mercy? Or do I want God's judgment? This is such a hard thing to, to stop for most people. I mean, it's almost like it's hardwired into us, isn't it? It's almost like it's just built into us that we're hard on other people and we're easy on ourselves, right? That we can see the faults in others and we can't see the fault in ourselves. I don't know if you heard about the car thief in Oregon in January. So this car thief steals a car only to discover that there's a four-year-old strapped in the back seat of the car. And so the car thief brings the car back takes the kid out and hands it to the mother and scolds her. So what happened was, it's a grocery store. Yeah, this, this is an actual, there was a, it was a grocery store in Oregon. A mom parked her car, left it running and unlocked, left her four-year-old strapped into the car seat to run in just a moment to get some milk and come right back out. The thief happened to be coming along and sees this as a golden opportunity. So he jumps in the car, but he's not that far a block or two down the road when he notices this four-year-old. He's so irate about it, he brings the car back. And he literally says to the woman, I should call the police on you. (laughs) It is so easy to be hard on other people and easy on ourselves. So what's the word that Jesus uses here? He uses the word, you hypocrite. Now we've heard that word a lot. The, the part of the origination of the word had to do with the theater. It was this idea of putting on a mask. In fact, in that day, you could actually have one actor who played several different roles because they just put on a different mask, right? And so the idea of the mask is what does it do? It hides who you really are behind the mask. And so you can have a humorous mask. You could have a sad mask. You could have an angry mask there. And so to be a hypocrite is to put on a mask is to pretend to be somebody else that we really aren't. Um, And if we're all honest, there's this spirit of being a hypocrite lurking in every single one of our hearts, right? It's so easy to put ourselves in a good light at the expense even of the truth, in which we want to look good, we don't want to look bad, right? We don't want to... So we put the truth... And behind our desire to look good to other people. And we all do that. It's something that we all absolutely struggle with. I mean, we, we're masters at times of making other people look bad so that we can look good. You know, if the other person takes too long, it's because they're slow. But if I take too long, it's because I'm thorough, right? Or if the other person, you know, is rude at the table because they're not following etiquette, you know, we call them rude. But for us, what do we say? Well, you know, I'm just original. I mean, it's this whole idea. They don't get the job done. Well, they're lazy. I don't get the job done. Well, I'm just busy. It's so easy for us to do that, to put other people in that light. Now, important question for us to wrestle with as Christians is this. Is Jesus somehow prohibiting us from helping a brother or sister in Christ in regard to what's happening in their life. So let's go on. Look uh, beginning in verse 39. Jesus says this, He also told them a parable, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
So can the blind lead the blind? Uh, Oftentimes in Scripture, our inability to see our own struggle, our own sin, is called spiritual blindness. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you're spiritually blind, in other words, if you're not going to pay attention to your own stuff, you you have no business trying to help somebody else who's blind, right? Because you're going to both get in all kinds of trouble at that particular moment. And then he's really alluding to the fact that we got to be careful who we listen to. Because there's a lot of people out there who will tell you something else. But the person who chooses to truly listen to Jesus, and again, right, he's speaking to disciples, those who've committed themselves to him. He, it's like he's saying, if you're really listening to me, your first step is always going to be you're going to look in the mirror. You're always going to wrestle with your own stuff. You're always going to say, you know what, this is something that I have to pay attention to. But then he goes on and gives us this very crazy picture, Right? Um, Verse 41, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I mean, it's a, it's a strange picture. I mean, we can all kind of vision that, right? This crazy kind of a thing. But it's this idea of, I, I want to take, you know, this small, tiny speck of problem out of your life when I can't even see it because I've got such a major problem in my own life that I, I can't even see beyond that. It's, it's hypocritical. It's this kind of holier-than-thou spirit that makes me... It causes me to reflect on my own life in such a shallow way that I don't even want to look inwardly. I just want to look at other people. I want to be critical of other people. I want to condemn other people because then that avoids me having to look very deep in my own life. So I'll I'll be honest with you. I, I, um, I struggle with this when I preach, right? Because like today... What am I doing? I'm preaching about sin, right? I'm talking to you about sin, telling you you shouldn't judge, you shouldn't be critical. In fact, probably 99% of the stuff I preach on, I struggle with. I mean, I have a hard time with. It's like I know it's something that's an issue in my own life. I mean, today is a great example of that. So what does that mean? Is Jesus saying, well, you shouldn't preach? Is Jesus saying, well, you shouldn't have a conversation with a brother or sister you love that you know is struggling with some kind of an issue that they have in their life? I mean, Scripture talks about a family responsibility that we have. It really is that. But it always begins with this humble heart. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore, that's an interesting word in that passage, it's the motive, right? It's the goal to restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah, we we do have this responsibility to one another But it can never happen unless we're willing to have that honest inward look, right? That humble heart. 
Living by the Spirit means I'm constantly letting God work on my life and show me the stuff that I need to be working on and taking care of my own life. So what's the, the antidote here? Well, the antidote is you take off the robe because the robe belongs only to God as the judge. He's the only one that we need to be allowing to judge. And again, back to verse 37 as he's Speaking there again, Jesus is saying there, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A part of the understanding of this word forgiveness is this idea of setting someone free. Which again really ties into this whole legal kind of concept and stuff of what we do. We, we show grace, right? Um, we don't hold that against them. And so in place of judgment, what we're doing is we're giving grace and we're giving mercy to that person. We extend this grace. And the way we do that is by continually reminding ourselves of the grace that God has extended to us. Because I don't deserve anything of what God has done for me. He has forgiven me of my past and present and future, even when I was his enemy. And I'm so thankful for God's forgiveness. And it helps me when I remember that to be willing to extend mercy and grace to other people. So let's, let's see if we can just stop here and then take a moment to try to apply this to our lives, okay? Um, this is where it gets a little prickly, right? Okay? Because this is where we have to really think about ourselves. It's easy for me to think, well, so-and-so needs to hear this, right? But how do, we, how do we take this and apply it to our life? I think it begins with this question, do I want to invite God's judgment in my life, or do I want to invite God's mercy into my life? And so anytime I face up with this idea of this critical thing in my mind, what do I do? I replace criticism with generosity I let that generosity be the thing that rules in my heart and in my life and so maybe for you you struggle a little bit with being critical of other parents right and how they raise their kids and so how do you replace that criticism with generosity well maybe in that moment you extend grace and you say you know what it it's hard to be a parent right there's some challenges, and none of us get it right, and you maybe extend some courtesy to them. Or if you have a critical spirit when you're driving down the road, maybe what you could do is think to yourself, you know what, maybe they're having a really hard day. Maybe they're struggling with something in their life, or maybe, you know what, I just need to be nice and just let them in front of me and not try to speed up at that moment. Or if it's, you know, your mate and you're, really wrestling with criticism of them. Maybe what it's time to do is to take ownership and apologize for your own choices and your own behavior in the matter. So when I feel like criticizing, what does that generous act look like for us? When that comes to my mind, what does that generous act look like? I think we need to think that through. I think we need to wrestle with that. Maybe we also need to ask the question, why? Why do I struggle so much with criticism? Why is that such a big issue for me? Because it's probably because there's something deeper within me. Uh, you know, 
some insecurity. I don't know what it is, but that's a good thing to be able to wrestle with. So what do we need to do then with this? As we think about applying that, what do we do? Well, for some, maybe for you, it's asking someone you trust, that's a big word there, to help you with this. If that's a struggle for you, somebody you trust, somebody that you love, ask them to help you with that and just say, hey, help me to see and notice when I'm having this kind of a a critical spirit. Maybe for you, it's to keep a journal, maybe for the next seven days, just to say, maybe you think you're not that critical of a person, but you Every time you criticize someone, you write that down so you can go back and reflect and see, am I really that kind of a critical person? I think we also have to have a daily time of self-reflection and repentance. Even though we know we're forgiven by Jesus Christ, we still need to take time to look at our own life, to look inward and say, Lord, where do I fall short? And to take some time to repent of the sins that we have. Maybe we need to remind ourselves of the consequences of having a critical spirit. God wants to give mercy. But when we criticize, we condemn, what do we do? When we judge, we invite that back from God himself. But again, for me, I think at the heart of it is realizing the mercy God has given us and how much we need him. And my prayer today is that no matter who you are, You've received that mercy of God. You've received that salvation that we talked about at the beginning, that we're drawing from the well of God's salvation, that you've said yes to him. So what I want to do is just pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song together. You can just stay seated if you want to. Just it's a prayer about our desperate need for Jesus Christ and his work in our life. Let me pray for us, and then let's worship together. Father God, I confess to you my struggle with just this critical spirit, Lord, and I repent of that hypocrisy, and I ask for the help that you, can, you alone can give. And Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would be those who would forgive. Lord, we would be those who would give generously to others because of your generous love for us. Imagine, Lord, the impact in our marriages, in our families, the places we work, for Lord, your church. And so we ask for your help and your strength. And Father, we cry out to you. We desperately need you this day. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.